welcome back to another Two Guys, One Topic expert interview. This week, Liam and I, we cover the topic of MI6. And Liam, we needed to find ourselves a topic expert, didn't we? Yes, we did. Now, we went out there and we thought, who do we need to talk to to tell us stuff about being an intelligence officer? What we need is an actual former intelligence officer. So, turns out that's just a little bit harder though to find than, than you think it is, isn't it? Because they don't really tell you that that's what they used to do. But it turns out there is one. We found one who is now an author. He's a published author. He's got 14 books out, the Spy Catcher novels and the Ben Sign novels. They are on Amazon. But more importantly than that, this guy is a genuine former intelligence officer with MI6. Listen to this interview. It is fantastically interesting. Coming up is our interview with Matthew Dunn. All right, Matthew, thank you for joining us tonight on the Two Guys, One Topic podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. So our listeners know, this week we researched MI6, or as we found out, the Secret Intelligence Service, and um, we needed to find ourselves somebody to interview. So we've managed to find ourselves an ex-agent, intelligence gathering person, officer. Intelligence officer. Yeah. So uh, I guess the first thing we like to ask everybody, pretty much, is... So way back when you first started, what on earth made you decide to apply to MI6 or were you recruited? Like how did how did it start at the very start? Yeah, I mean, back, back um, when I joined or certainly in the, in the, the lead up to me joining, there, there wasn't... Um, there wasn't an open application um, process. There is now, but um, when I uh, when I was looking at uh, options, it was really still the the old days of um, being tapped on the shoulder. Um, and in my case, um, it was at university. Um, one of my professors, obviously, it transpired had links to um, the secret organisations, the agencies. And it really evolved in almost like a sort of courtship kind of way of him sort of saying to him in my third year at university, well, what are you going to do when you leave, um, when you graduate? And I said, well, I'm quite interested in foreign affairs, foreign service. And um, it reached a stage, and we had a, a number of discussions, but reached a stage where we both kind of knew what we were talking about, but didn't yeah. express it. <laughs> and um, it culminated in him saying, well, I know some people in London that um, <clears throat> I think you should talk to. And so I went down to London, um, a very regal address, uh, which I won't give you. And um, <laughs> and um, I met some very nice people there and uh, it went on from there. But, but um, they were different days. Now it's all very transparent, uh, websites, etc., an open application process. But back then it really was um, being talent spotted. Oh, really interesting. And you you were reading a for a PhD in international relations at Cambridge. No, that's what Wikipedia says. Okay. But, uh, uh, no, no, I was um, I was at Cambridge as an undergrad, but uh, no, not not for PhD. Um, so everything I've just described was when I was an undergrad, um, and um, then I joined um, immediately after leaving university. Okay, and w- we read about nowadays it being a particularly long application process. It sounds like that was different or certainly the process has changed now from from when you applied, but how was was the experience of just going through that 
application selection uh, process? My, my understanding is the process is still um, still as long. I mean, the, the actual, it, it's long for two reasons. Firstly, um, the number of interviews, the number of tests, um, all of that um, does take time. They really need to spend time um, uh, distilling um, a number of applicants down to, to key people, and, and they're looking for a raft of different qualities. Um, it's not, for example, just intellect or just personality. They're looking really for a certain breed of animal. Um, and so that, that uh, requires a very intensive um, selection process. And then very separate to that, um, there's a, uh, if you're successful, there's a um, provisional offer made, but then very separate to that, then applicants have to go through um, security vetting. Mm -hmm. And that really can take quite some time. I mean, it can take um, two, three months or it could take a year. Um, so that's a very, very um, exhaustive process. So total length of application typically can be as much as 12 months, if not longer. Okay. Wowzers. And my understanding it's is, long time. Is, is still the same. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a long process. Well, <laughs> yeah, we thought the same. We, we, when we recorded, didn't we? We said the same thing. Like, yeah, that's an awfully long time to be applying and, and just sort of going along. You know, in, in my line of work in teaching, it's like one day. Like, you apply, you interview, you got the job. Like, <laughs> That's it. Well, I mean, I, mean it's, I suspect um, anybody that is applying should have backup options, and uh, maybe backup options yeah. should be in education or similar. But um, because it is a very high risk um, option in terms of uh, extra expectations to get in. So, having gone through the application process, as far as training. Is that anything you're allowed to tell us about? We, you know, is, is can you tell us like what sorts of things you were trained in, having uh, been yeah. accepted? I mean, it's so the training pro, uh, program for the intelligence officer is six months, um, and that's um, as you would expect a very intensive um, program, um, and it's an interesting one going back to the actual application process um it's it's almost it's almost the opposite of for example um special forces selection because um in special forces you'll start out with <clears throat> let's say 100 120 men who are applying for mm -hmm. a position in the sas or the sps or whatever yes. um, and then they'll whittle it down so let's say it could be as small as five or eight people so um that's their their way of approaching it Whereas with um, MI6 Secret Intelligence Service, it really, once they've got somebody through the whole application process, once they've got them actually through the door um, for day one of actual training, really the emphasis at that stage is they want to try and keep you as much as possible because they, okay. they've invested so much time to get you just that far. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so they're not, it's not a sort of, they're not, really looking at a sort of pass or fail culture. People do fail and, and people are asked to leave or they just quit or whatever. Um, but once you're into the, the actual training program, it is very intensive. And the way they, they design it, which is very clever, um, it starts out relatively benign. Um, and it's fascinating because you, you learn um, a lot about, for example, past um, case histories, things that have happened, things that just aren't public knowledge yet or whatever. Yeah. 
and um, you're given uh, lectures by um, famous or famous in secret circles people um, from the past, Cold War warriors, etc. And so it really is an eye opener. And then you get into the nitty gritty and all the training. And the training, um, okay, I'll, I'll be a little bit vague on the training, obviously, but. Um, <laughs> It, it does, you're given A to Z, the, the, the full spectrum of um, espionage, tradecraft um, training, and you're tested constantly okay. on it. Um, and so various different scenarios, um, hypothetical things, um, exercises, as they call them, that can be just simply one day or it could be a week or a month or whatever. Um, <clears throat> And as the course progresses, the exercises get more and more convoluted and culminates um, in um, an exercise. Well, certainly in my case, where um, the way it was done, um, and it was overseas, the way it was done was that it was designed to make the, um, the recruit actually start to question whether it actually was a training exercise. Okay. Or whether wow. it had gone badly wrong. Okay. And was going to have uh, international diplom diplomatic repercussions. So <laughs> it really it really is a very cleverly crafted scheme. Um, obviously the end game being to um, produce world class spies. I mean that is the end game. Um, but it doesn't stop there. Once you, you leave, then um, you're on probation and you go into an operational team and you're still mentored, you're still taught and, um, and you're learning. Um, but relatively quickly, you are let off the leash and, and uh, you do get into uh, some very, very heavyweight, serious um, operations quite quickly. Oh, wow. And from a training point of view, we were reading along the lines of explosives, unarmed combat, anti-surveillance, surveillance, counter-surveillance, counter advanced yeah. driving, mm. exfiltration techniques. Um, so that, that that's all correct, is it? Yeah, I mean, the, the, it is completely correct. Um, and the idea behind it all is that as um, an intelligence officer, um, you're, you're typically operating on your own. Yes. Um, I know that may sound an obvious point to make, but uh, very often, perhaps due to movies or whatever, so people have the sort of perception that there are satellites overhead and you've got communications with some situation room in the Pentagon or Whitehall or whatever. And there's all been earpiece in the whole time. And yeah, and it yeah. is, well, in my experience, absolutely nothing like that okay. at all. So you're on your own. And that means you have to be able to do everything um, and be able to deal with any situation. Um, so you have to be um, the complete package. You can't think, um, right, well, I don't know how to do this. You actually have to know everything. And, and um, yeah. so they're putting you out into, out into the field, as we describe it, um, overseas, and expecting you to be able to operate without any support whatsoever. Wow. Um, so you have to have to have those skills. Was there an element that you got trained in that you found the most fun? Dare I use that word? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the most it's, yeah, it's a great question because, the, the, in fact, the, the very word fun, um, it's, um, I, I think the whole thing, if I look back on it now, older and wiser, I, I do sort of pause for thought now. I'm 52 years old and I, I look back and think, my goodness me. Um, <laughs> so I don't really think there was a moment when I thought this is fun. 
Okay. Um, there, there were moments I thought this is frankly utterly ridiculous. And as a result of that, <laughs> had a sort of wry smile going on or... You know, yes. If only somebody who didn't know what I did for a living, if only somebody I, I knew um, could see what I'm doing right now. Yes. Um, so, you know, that's sort of very dark humour, but actual just sort of fun. I, I don't really think that uh, that was an operative word um, for, for what I did. <laughs> Excuse me. So, um, so having gone through the application, you've gone through the training, are you able to something we really want to say, are you able to shed some light on what your job actually entailed on a day-to-day basis? Um, you know, as vague as you need to be about that. You're able to say yeah, what you okay. did? Okay. Um, yeah. Right. Um, as vague as I can be and as revealing well, as possible. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, as specific yeah. as possible. Um, um, okay. I mean, with complete the, examples. The, 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 again, as perhaps a slight misconception, conception um there are very specific object objectives that are laid down and they're top down they come down from from the government um and they have categories of requirements that are reviewed each year and in fact are reviewed within each year and so in the case of um sis um mi6 um mi6 works against very very specific um tasks those tasks being um the government or the government's allies need to know things and so it's our job as the professionals to say how we can potentially um, um, get the information that they need. So it's certainly not a case of us just going out, sort of making it up, thinking, well, perhaps this would be interesting or that would be interesting. So we have very hard and fast objectives. What is um, within our gift to decide upon is how we get secrets okay. and from whom. Um, so the core um role of um mi6 is um human human intelligence mm-hmm. um, and as the name suggests that's obtaining the secrets from human beings um comparative to the likes of for example gchq or the american um, nsa and that signals intelligence SIGINT. um and so that's um electronic intercept etc um, but um, in the case of MI6, it's really the core of it is obtaining secrets from people. Um, those people will typically be well-placed um, foreign nationals um, who have access to secrets that we deem um, vital. Um, so there's a whole process, and this is where I am very much straying into vagaries uh, but there is a process in terms of how one thinks one might get secrets from um, a person of interest um, and then it's the role of a field operative um, like me to actually think actually okay I need to somehow get alongside that person or get alongside somebody who knows that person and uh, then start a whole operation of um, actually obtaining secrets. Um, and um, that process is extremely complex, um, very convoluted, and very often, as one would expect, um, does not always um, go to plan. Okay. So one has to be very sort of nimble and flight of foot um, in terms of how one operates uh, and reacts to changing circumstances. But the, the, the bread and butter of it, as I've described, is simply um, unlocking secrets from people's heads. Understood. And we, we were reading about something called mice or using the 
the mnemonic of mice of obtaining secrets, that being money, ideology, compromise, or ego. Yeah. Is that is that correct? Is that something that, that you work on in terms of that that mnemonic in your yeah, I mean, we like didn't. Yeah, I'm aware. I'm, a, I'm aware of the mnemonic, but um, no, we didn't use it. But um, it, it essentially, it captures um, the, the starting point. Whenever you're looking at um, somebody of interest, somebody who you think uh, might spy on their country um, on behalf of Her Majesty's government, um, the starting point is is not just what is their access. Access is the is one of the key words that we look at. Access, okay. the other key um, word is motivation, which okay. would then incorporate what you've just mentioned about mice. Um, motivation. What would motivate them? Sounds very grandiose what I'm about to say, but it is true. What would motivate somebody to betray their country? And um, so you would look at then a raft of different things, and they can it can vary. Um, it can be ideology, although that's less prevalent these days. It can be money. Um, it could be they are disgruntled. They're in a, a career where they've been passed over for promotion or something. Mm -hmm. um, or it could be other things. It could be personal things. Um, it could be lifestyle. It could be a raft of different things. And what um, what we're looking at is. Um, is there something that could suggest this person could work with us? Um, and um, really before people like me are deployed, there are other teams who will look at that um, and really analyze that. And they would present it to someone like me and say, we think this might be a starter. Then I would look at it and I would then start constructing um, a potential what's called approach. Okay. And, um, and that itself is, is a very complex process. And uh, then I would go and do it. <laughs> and of, of those, I know we said about mice there, and I know you said it's not quite the mnemonic that you use, but the concept is sort of similar. Yeah. Is there one of those four that you think is more successful than others as, as a leverage? Or is there a, a combination of a perfect cocktail of those um, so different, uh, even within. Th there's no, uh, there's no absolute template, um, and part of the, the beauty of it is, uh, in terms of operating in that sphere, is that different, uh, different spies have different ways of operating and, and different strengths. Um, so put two um, intelligence, two MI six intelligence officers alongside each other, faced with the same. Uh, face uh, same problem or same objective, and they might construct different ways of, of um, meeting um, that objective. Um, and in, so in terms of looking at analyzing somebody of interest, um, I might look at that person and think of one way or one thing that's of interest to me. Another IO, intelligence officer, might look at something else and think, actually, that might be a better way in. Okay. Um, and so you're looking at, at different things. Um and one of the uh, key strengths of MI6 and what it looks for in terms of its recruits um, uh, is interpersonal skills um, okay. and, uh, and the ability on the ground to read people. So, for example, if, um, if on paper I thought I wanted to recruit um, you um, because maybe you're short of cash, you're, you know, you're... Um, uh, you've got debt um, up to your eyeballs, all the rest of it. So on paper, that looks right. Okay, 
So that could be an interesting one. But then I meet you and I actually learn more about you, stuff that's not on paper. Uh, I will be constantly thinking, well, actually, maybe there are some other angles to look at as well. Um, so it can be an evolving process. And going back to what I mentioned earlier, I mean, one has to be very um, very flexible in terms of thought process and creativity. Yes. Um, and um, MI6 is extremely good at that. I, I have to be a little bit cautious um, when talking about my American friends, not least because a lot of my books, I'm an author now, a lot yes, of my of books sell in America, so I'll be very carefully. But, for example, it's well known that uh, the Americans do um, tend to use money a bit more than we do. Mm. Yeah, that um, seems to stack up with we, what we um, we, we We still, I mean, we'll do that, but it's one of many potential options. And we were reading that some of the sums of the money, you know, can be enormous, <laughs> like depending on depending on the the size of intelligence or the the significance of the intelligence that's being um, given out. People can make you know millions of pounds over a, a short number of years. Yeah, I mean, but those cases um, they exist, but they are um, they're quite rare. Um, one of the, the problem with money is it's a very obvious um, component of motivation. And with it then comes greed. Uh, and also with it comes the potential for um, exaggerating, uh, exaggeration okay. um, and even falsehood. Um, by which I mean that if, you're, if somebody is getting used to a financial lifestyle and they think, well, actually, if I meet um, Matthew and tell him this, yes, and I might get an extra few quid for it, um, but this is actually not really that true. So you've got to be very careful with money. Um, and typically, not entirely, but typically where money is used by MI6, it's largely in the wrap of a bigger package. Um, so it might be money that helps support the family or relocation or whatever in due course. Okay. But usually it needs to be supported by something else, some other component um, that reassures us on, on the motivation side. Understood. We um we asked our listeners some questions to ask you, and and <laughs> we'll come back, we'll come to them in a minute. But one yeah. of them, a lot of them said, which is which we were going to ask anyway, is how dangerous is the job then? Sort of life or death in times? I, can, I, I don't know if you can tell us that. Like, is it a bit hairy in, on occasion? Yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's one of the most dangerous jobs in the world, to be frank with you. Um, because if you get caught... Um, Again, I'm going to tread a little bit carefully here because it, yeah. it depends on the cover that you're operating under. But if you get caught in certain countries or by certain people, then so, in some instances, at best, you could get life imprisonment or at worst, you'd be executed. Um, uh, and that's the way of it. Um, and so you, you accept it and uh, you tread very carefully where you can. But also, I must um, impress upon um, your viewers as well that um, it's not just the lives of people like me who are putting their necks on the line. It's the people that are actually working with us, the foreign nationals. Because yes. you know, in many instances, I mean, and, and you know, in many instances, they're doing it for free and, and they're doing it for whatever reason, um, but they're doing it. 
And unfortunately, in some countries, um, you know, if they got caught, it wouldn't just be them um, who'd be put up against the wall. It would also be their family, their extended family, people they know, etc. And unfortunately, there are um, some well-known public cases where that has happened. So the consequences um, or the risks are severe. Yeah, we could well imagine. I hope that answers the And so just so people understand who are are listening then, and we've had a couple of different terms about yourself being an intelligence officer. You've got the spies who are the, the people who are then providing you with the information that you're then working on. So MI6's role is to collect this information and then... Are we right in saying you then work with other organizations such as the SAS or the SBS to then run a mission or them to then act on that intelligence? Is that how it works? Um, Many different scenarios and many different collaborations. So um, just very briefly, in in Britain, um, there are three intelligence agencies, um, the Secret Intelligence Service, commonly known as MI6, um, the Security Service, commonly known as MI5, and GCHQ, which is the, the listening um, agency. Um, MI5, the Security Service, is relates, is um, tasked to um, protect our shores. So to a large extent, it's looking inwardly. Uh, MI6 is tasked to get um, secrets from overseas. Mm-hmm. Um, so we go out proactively to obtain secrets. Um, other agencies within the UK that we'll, we'll work with um, will include special forces, the SAS and SBS um, components, highly trained components, even within those organisations, highly trained components of them, trained in um, espionage by us. Um, and other government um, and military organizations. And then um, we will also um, collaborate, whether in joint operations or intelligence sharing with um, overseas partners um, as well, um, and do joint operations where they're appropriate. Um, And so there is that ongoing collaboration um, internally within the UK, but also externally. Okay. So you're gathering it and then people are acting on it. Yeah. Well. So um, when if I come back from uh, an overseas operational mission, as it's called in in America, <clears throat> um, I'll slap whatever on the desk, and then that can be taken off and go in a, a variety of different directions, depending yeah. on who, as we describe it, who the customers are. The customers. Okay. Can, can be Whitehall, can be senior ministers, can be the prime minister, um, but also can be um, other agencies or overseas allies. So um, it can be acted on in, in a variety of different ways. Yeah. Understood. Um, maybe, I, I, I don't think this is going into the realm of James Bond quite so much here, but um, we read about like aliases and how many different people y- yeah. you were pretending to be, at, you know, at a time you know, you see in James Bond or the Bourne films where they open up a box and they've got like loads of passports, but they're all the same picture, different people. Is is that is that how it worked? Is that do you have that? Do you have these different aliases? You're pretending to be these different people. You've got all the background for them, and how do you manage to keep on top of them? 
Yeah, I mean, it, it is that. Um, at peak, I had 14 different... Wow. <laughs> um, and... Um, Matthew, I can't remember what I did last week, let alone remembering 40 yeah. backstories. Well, I'm not saying I could do it now, because I'm, <laughs> I'm with you shoulder to shoulder on that now. But um, <laughs> back then, I could, for some reason. And it's not re- it's not just having a passport and a credit card and uh, just a different name. Um, you have to have a complete identity um, to back up um, that person. Um, and you really need to know um, some very um, small details as well. So if, for example, um, you live in a, uh, your identity, your alias says that you live in a certain street in, let's say, London, um, then you need to know that street and you need to know the other streets around it. And okay. You need to know, okay, what's the, what are the local pubs and what yeah. beer are they serving in the local pubs and, um, <laughs> you know, what are the cafes <laughs> and schools? Okay, what were the names of your teachers and, and, and various other <laughs> things? Because, and, and you need to really, really go into that whole sort of um, bio um, because it's not just a case of if you get um, stopped by a foreign security service and have a fairly sort of hairy interview. It can also be just chance encounters or mm. um, random questions. I mean, I had a, a situation one time, for example, um, talking about sort of a more benign example where. I went through um, an airport and um, uh, just a a very nice immigration officer, a foreign immigration officer, um, looked at me and started talking to me. And um, then for various reasons, he said, I went to the same um, university as you and and did the same course as you (laughs) as as an overseas student. And you must know so-and-so and and you must know such and such. And and so sometimes... um, uh, you, you have to have that level of detail because you never know. So, um, yeah, I mean, whether it's Bond or Born or whatever, but it, it, it goes, it's, it's far more in depth than perhaps it's portrayed okay. in movies. But, uh, yes, that's the reality of it. So you were saying um, you had 14 at one point. A peak. And a that peak. is quite unusual. But, yeah, yeah. Wow, that's immense. So just you saying about having to know your university, does someone then go back and and like put you in a database to pretend you actually went there in case they searched it up? Like, does it go that deep? Or can you not tell me that bit? Um, on that level, I, I'm, I, yeah, I've got to be a little bit coy on that. To be <laughs> with you. Um, it, it can be a combination and it really depends on the operation as to how how much depth mm-hmm. and, and how much um, how much potential scrutiny you think uh, yeah. you might be facing. If it's something where you think I really just need a, a f- sort of a fig leaf cover and I just yeah. need to be able to talk myself out of it, then perhaps not um, not that level of, um, uh, of, of detail. But there are other instances where, yes, you would need that, uh, that support there. Uh, out of interest, just when you're then out trying to get this information and you're, you've done, you've worked out the approach that you're going to take with the team and what you think is going to be the best way of, of talking with somebody. How do you then come into talking with that person? Is it the, the person that you're targeting? Do you then just make it a chance meeting that you then come together and start talking? Or if is it a more formal situation? Is it dinner parties? I just, just interested how you then actually get in contact be, with the um, target. Yeah, it, it can be a number of different ways. Normally, um, 
you'd have to already have some idea as to what uh, what kind of hook you could put in. Um, so it might be a business approach. It might be something completely different, but you've got to have a reason to be having a conversation. So chance encounters and just building up a rapport, it's done, um, but really not that often. Okay. Um, you'd have to have something um, that's a lot more thought through. Understood. So... We did so. I, I mentioned this earlier. We did. We put out on our Instagram. We asked them just, you know, if we were going to interview a former MI6 officer, what would you like us to ask them? So I've just got three questions that more than one person wanted to know. And the first one you've been asked a billion times: How close to James Bond is it? Now I think we sort of got through some of the answers already. But how realistic is James Bond? How close were you to being like James Bond? I got to ask because people want to know. Um. Well, firstly, I mean, my cards on the table, I've been asked this before in terms of my view of the James Bond franchise, uh, whether written or, or in movie. And I, I enjoy Bond movie as much as anyone. You know? and, and so, you know, it's it's bombastic, it's exhilarating and uh, all the rest of it. So um, it's, a, it's a great franchise. Um, I, I think, um, obviously, very unrealistic in terms of... Um, um, just walking into a casino in Monte Carlo and announcing to all and sundry that Bond, <laughs> James Bond, and <laughs> yeah, all just women draped over his arm and all the rest of it, all of that. Um, what, but car I, chases I, and you know shootouts and bombs and yeah, I mean it can draw attention mean, to yourself. It, 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 it can have that, but all the um, um, all the sort of glitz and glamour of it, probably not. Um, but um, I think where I quite like the um, the Bond um, uh, franchise in terms of, I, I like the attitude. Um, he is, the Bond character um, has always been somebody who's um, thought he can basically do anything. Um, he never shies away from anything, anything is possible. Um, and I like that um, that ethos within him because that really does capture the spirit, albeit in a very sort of boy's own adventure type of, of manner. Yeah. But that, that spirit and, and, and the fact he's a loner, he's operating largely alone, all the rest of it. Um, I, I think that that that's good. That's fair in a very, very big, grandiose kind of um, mm -hmm. operatic um, scenario. But um, yeah, I, I, um, in essence, it's 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 got that the right attitude, I think. Okay, um, so second question, and I don't know if you can say this, how many missions were you involved in? Are you allowed to, like, are we talking, like, does it, does it take a year to do stuff, so you're only doing one a year, or do you do it quickly sometimes, and you've done dozens and dozens? Like, are you... Yeah, Are we in hundreds. Hmm. Like, oh, the the, the duration of um, uh, a mission um, it varies enormously. I mean, it could, it could just simply be um, a day or two days. Um, wow. like more typically, not. I mean, more typically, months or or years. Um, so it really does depend on um, the nature of, of the job at hand. Um, and, and they will be overlapping. And that's the, the point about alias is I, I would have different um, operations um, overlapping. And, and that wow. just um, caused uh, complexity. Um, so, um, yeah. Um, so the world. Yeah. Who am I supposed to be now? 
<laughs> it wasn't always a beginning, middle, and end, and then move on to the next thing. There were, yeah, there okay. were things running in uh, in parallel. So um, yeah. And um, so finally, and I think, well, are you worried about people knowing who you are? Was the question we were asked. Um, well, I, I it's a bit late now, really, isn't it? But so. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. It's like we've been talking to you now for yeah. forty minutes or so. Like. Probably. No, it's um, it's fine. I, I became um, a published author ten years ago, and it was a major discussion point at the time as to whether I should write on my name. And um, and the decision was left to me really. And I decided uh, why not? Um, because I mean, there's always a general threat um, against people like me. But um, uh, I decided that um, maybe maybe somewhat almost sort of sort of churlishly, really, I decided that for so long I'd been operating as somebody else, that as an author, I finally okay. liked that, uh, to do uh, some work as Matthew yes. Dunn. And yes. Uh, yes. so that was the sort of motivator for me to actually step out of the shadows. Can you travel freely around the world now, like feeling safe? Oh, my goodness me, no. There's vast swathes of the world that I can't go to. Um, but so that's, <laughs> that's all right. That's all right. There's still a lot that I can do. So, yeah. <laughs> um, wow. And just just in terms of your your peers, the, um, you then becoming an author, do what, 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 what do your peers then then think of that? Um, my books are all uh, it's all done um, with the permission and, and uh, of my former employer. So and, and so it's all done very amicably and. Um, and properly, um, so my books have have to be vetted um, by MI6, um, and if they require any changes, amendments, then I'll do it, and, and that's fine. So, all above board. Um, and I suspect they they kind of like it because um, uh, my experience of working in MI6 is we're all. Uh, because of the nature of the job, we're all a bunch of creatives. I mean, you yeah. have to be to go yes. out and yeah. the crazy Absolutely. stuff that we do. And so, yeah. you, you know, you get people who, you know, who, who love, they love literature and um, the arts and all the rest of it. And, and so it kind of does sort of stray into their, their, their mindset a little bit. And uh, so, Matthew, will we, will we then be vetted this interview? Someone from MI6 will listen to this? And... No, you'll be right. So you use obviously your experience um, in your books, in the books to make them as as realistic and authentic as as they can be, right? Yeah. So I've been writing for a decade. I've got uh, fourteen published books out, um, including the Spy Catcher series and the Ben Sines series. They're all spy novels, um, although not just espionage. Um, there's components of crime, mystery within there. Um, and so I write um, from that perspective. Um, but, I mean, first and foremost, I'm a storyteller these days. That's what I do. Mm -hmm. um, it just happens that I write within the wrap of... Um, the secret world and um I, I like to think that i write with a steady hand because i know that world extremely well um so it's not just i know the technicalities i i know the organizations i know the equipment all of that but more than that i just i, I can feel it i, I can feel um yeah. uh, sense that world and how people are within it and, and 
very often when I see dramatizations um, of the, the secret world, the one recurring thing that people get wrong is how spies are, how they really are when they're operating in the field and the types of characters they are, which is manifold, but they're all um, of a certain ilk. And so I try to reflect that in my books. Um, and um, But again, first and foremost, um, like any other author, I have to come up with a good story. Yes. Um, so it's um, my starting point is not um, some... Um, standing on a pedestal, this is how the world, uh, you know, this, the world of espionage is. I, uh, my starting point is always I need to tell a cracking good story. Um, so I'm like any other author in that respect. Um, but thankfully, I've got the the background experience to uh, to know what I'm talking about. Yeah, brilliant. And being an intelligence officer, was it what you expected it to be? No, it wasn't um, because. When I so um, I entered that world in the sort of in the mid nineties, and there was still so so little known about the world. There wasn't that much public information apart from some headline stuff that had happened over the preceding decades during the Cold War, but not a lot of public information. And so I had this sort of nagging doubt um, when I was going through the selection process that actually it was going to be boring. It was going to be desk jobs and, okay. you know, all the rest of it. And then day one of my um, training course, and then they open up the world to you, and, and they really do, uh, I think very deliberately. And um, I and the 29 other um, new entrants were probably sat there, sat there sort of um, starry-eyed, thinking, my goodness me, this is all real. And it is. Um, and um, so, no, I didn't. Um, uh, it, it was considerably more exciting, uh, more dangerous, um, more high value than I anticipated. And final question, I guess, would you recommend it to others? Is it, you know, we were talking earlier, or we were talking in the pod that you, you can go on to their website and apply, like, you know, yeah. people could be listening to this and going, oh, that's fantastically interesting. I'm going to apply right now. Is it something you recommend to others? Yeah, I mean, if, if um, and, and also it depends what agency. Um, so the, the types of people that uh, MI6 recruits are very different, for example, uh, to the type of people that GCHQ uh, recruit mm -hmm. on, and also, yes. um, also MI5, the security service. So um, they're, they're not all the same. And um, But if you've got um, a very inquiring mind, um, if you do have um, a belief that actually you want to do some vital work, really vital work um, at the top end, um, because you believe in the principles of um, the country we're in, the principles of democracy and, and freedom, etc. Um, if you believe in that um, and you really want a varied career, then I would wholeheartedly recommend it with a caveat that don't be disappointed if you don't get in. It doesn't mean you're a bad person or whatever. It's just the odds are against it, um, just yeah. purely because of what they're looking for, but also particularly these days with transparent application processes with the sheer volume of applicants. Um, so going back to the beginning of this into have a backup option. But give it a crack. Uh -huh. yeah. Yes, yeah. And do you miss it? Do you miss it, Matthew? 
Um, I don't. Um, I mean, I'm blessed to, to have a career as an author and to be sort of writing about it and, and reflecting on it uh, through that medium. Um, but um, it was, for me, an extremely intense time, extremely intense. And I think uh, for officers like me, you you can do it for so long and then really you, you need to say, okay, it's time now to call it a day. So I don't miss it. Um, um, I treasure it and would not swap it for the world. Um, okay. But it, I put it in a box as a great, great memory. Hopefully you'll put this interview in a box as a great, great memory. It is, it's been, a it's bigger been, box. Yeah, it's been you're probably pleased that you did your interrogation training before talking to us and you withstood these hard-hitting questions. <laughs> it's, it's all good. And I, I'm gonna definitely going to start uh, checking out your other podcasts as well. So, I mean, it's, uh, it's a, it sounds, by all accounts, a great show. Amazing. Thank you so much for your Thank time, you, Matthew. All really, right, my really pleasure. Appreciate it. My pleasure. You take care. Thank you, Matthew. That's, that's great talking about the spy stuff. But just on your books, do you... Have you got any new books coming out in the future? Where could we get them from? Where could our listeners get them from? Do you, anything you'd like to know, let us know about? Yeah, I've just literally um, had my my 14th book published. It's called The Spy Thief. Um, and it's the fifth novel in my Ben Sign series. Ben Sign, the character, is a former senior MI6 British intelligence officer. He left um, the service two years ago um, for reasons that are described in my first Ben Sign novel. Um, since leaving, he's become a um, private investigator who um, is tasked on um, uh, national or international matters that are deemed too sensitive for um, ordinary agencies or private um, cases that okay. are problems they can't solve. And so he's tasked on, on um, in The Spy Thief on um, stories, uh, senior British official is stealing secrets and he's got to identify that person and neutralise him. So The Spy Thief. Amazing. That sounds brilliant. Definitely, um, especially up your street, Lynn, that's very much your genre of books, isn't it? Yeah, it's, a, it's available from Amazon, exclusive to Amazon. Yeah. I said to Ollie when we started record um, researching MI6, it's a lot of the books I read. And I actually sent him a screen grab of one of the books I was reading. I don't know what it was. And, uh, you know, it's all talking about this sort of stuff. So I'll definitely give that a look. Brilliant stuff. Great stuff. Thank you, Matthew. All right. Thank you very much indeed. Okay, Ollie, tell me what you thought about that. <laughs> I loved it. It's so good. I could listen to Matthew talk for hours it's even just Matthew's voice and the way that he explains it I don't know if you realize Matthew said a lot of words we spoke to him for a long time but he didn't really say very much it's so good no, yeah we, so we good. said before we recorded didn't we like how much are you going to tell us I don't know if he did actually tell us anything but I I, I felt like for an hour I was just sitting listening yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely fantastic and how about yourself Liam? did you enjoy it no exactly that like you know, if we've got to find someone to clarify what we learned about MI6, getting a former MI6 agent to talk to us is like the actual top thing we could have done. Yes. So I thought that is absolutely fantastic. He sorted out what we what we found out, you know, altered some of what we thought was true, but amazing, really, really good. So good. And it, it makes me now also want to have a read of Matthew's books because I'm sure some some osmosis of the the real world will drift into to those books as well so i'm sure i'll be yeah. checking those yeah. out 
Um, yeah, great. For, cool. For everybody listening, we hope you enjoyed that as much as Liam and I did. If you have any questions, anything else you'd like us to ask Matthew, please get in contact with us at Two Guys One Topic on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks very much, everybody. Get out there and share some knowledge. Mm-hmm.